Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we're talking with a soon-to-be Olympian, Ashton Bell from Deloraine, Manitoba. She's a blue liner on the Olympic women's hockey team and is making her Olympic debut next month in Beijing. We're also going to hear Craig Heisinger with our Kelly Moore, the GM of the Manitoba Moose. A lot of roster fluctuation this year with COVID and the Jets eating Cobbs. They're still doing well on the ice. How are they doing it? Find out on the podcast. Earlier this week, the Canadian women's Olympic hockey team was revealed with almost everyone on the roster returning from the squad that won world championship gold in the Calgary bubble in August. That includes three Manitobans, 33-year-old veteran defender Jocelyn LaRock from St. Anne, who will play in her third Olympics, making their debuts, 24-year-old third-string goalie Kristen Campbell from Brandon, and 22-year-old blue liner Ashton Bell from Deloraine, who plays collegiate hockey at Minnesota Duluth. I had the chance to chat with Ashton earlier today after she got off the practice ice in Calgary. When did you find out that you were going to be on the Olympic roster, and what was your reaction? Yeah, we actually uh, found out right before Christmas. So it was a pretty special moment. I was at home uh, with my parents, and obviously it was over Zoom, but got told the news on Zoom, and yeah, I was just in complete shock. Couldn't believe that I was going to be an Olympian, and it still sounds weird to say that, but yeah, just so honored and grateful for this opportunity and a dream come true for sure so you're there with your parents so they knew but were did you have to keep it quiet from everyone else you know yes i did i was able to tell um some close family and friends and obviously told my coaches at Duluth as well and yeah had to keep it secret from the rest of the town which wasn't easy but but you did it (laughs) yeah (laughs) was able to keep it somewhat quiet until it came out there a couple days ago so and what's been the reaction since the, the news came out? Has your phone been flooded? Yes, it has been. My town's going crazy right now, so it's pretty cool to see all the love and support I've been getting. When did the Olympics first become a goal for you? I would say um, 2014 is like when I was younger and I was like watching it, remember watching it and telling my parents that I wanted to be there one day. And then in 2018, I would say that's when I was like, I'm going to, I remember watching at Duluth my freshman year, watching Maddie Rooney, who was playing for US at the time, my teammate. Um, I was just like, I want to be there in 2022 and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get there. So I think that was a big moment for me. And just that's when I knew that I wanted to get there in 2022. And looking at the last four years, what, how would you describe the, the hurdles that have come along the way, not just for you, but for almost every women's hockey player from the world's being canceled and the CWHL folding. There's been a lot of obstacles thrown in everyone's way. Yeah, for sure. It's obviously been a challenging uh, past couple of years just with the pandemic and things getting canceled and just not getting, um, just not being able to play as much hockey. But fortunately I was um, still at Duluth. So I was able to continue to play throughout this pandemic and, um, still to be able to develop my game. So I feel personally I was um, very fortunate that way and grateful that I was able to keep playing throughout those years as it was a huge um, part of my development when I made that transition to be to keep playing and get experience on the back end. So, How would you describe your experience in Duluth so far? It's been incredible. I mean, I truly believe that I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for that program. They've helped me so much. My coaches have helped me develop as a player and a person and especially uh, Laura Bellamy, when I made that transition to D, uh, she really helped me throughout that transition and went out of her way to spend 
extra time on the ice with me and watching video, whatever it would take to get me here today. So, so let's go back to that. When did you make the transition to defense? Um, it was after my sophomore year at Duluth during that summer, I decided to uh, make that transition to D and then I would do my, did my junior and senior year as a defense. And so, and why was that decision made for you? Um, I think it was just brought up by my coaches at Duluth. I know they were in contact with hockey Canada and they saw that uh, D would kind of suit my style, style of play better than um, forward. And I had played some D prior to that. So we had lots of um, conversations about making that transition and what would be best for me. So yeah, we made that in the summer after my sophomore year. Did you ever think then making that change, you'd be an Olympian as a blue liner? <laughs> no, not really. It's kind of crazy to think about, but I think getting invited to my first senior camp that summer. And then that was kind of my first time playing defense was that summer and had a good camp there. And it was eye opening. I knew I had a lot to do to get to um, this pace of play and keep developing my skills as a beast. So, yeah, it's crazy to think about. Let's go back to the world championships in the bubble this past summer. How big of a building block was that for you to feel like you belonged at that highest level? Yeah, for sure. That was huge. I, I remember our pre-camp there before Worlds. That was a huge um, part of my development and just getting more comfortable at uh, playing at this pace and competing against the best players in the world. So that was definitely a huge uh, part of my development as a defenseman. And this whole centralization has been huge for me as well. Just getting to practice day in and day out against the best and competing at the highest level every day. So, so centralization, it's a term we, we've heard a lot in watching women's hockey. What does it mean? So what is a, what does a week look like when you're in centralization? What is a day? What does a week look like? Yeah. So we were obviously on the road quite a bit these uh, past few months playing games and, traveling all over to play games but when we're in Calgary here we'll uh come to the rink at nine eight leave at eight thirty nine, and then we're here at the rink all day till like three we're just we have practice right away for a couple hours and then we work out lots of meetings watching video um just all kinds of sorts of things like that so it's been pretty cool a pretty cool experience and definitely have learned a lot kind of like a full-time job <laughs> yeah, that's what they call it. So yeah, it's a full-time job, but it's a job we all love doing. And we love to come to the rink every day and get to work with each other and be around some pretty incredible people. What was that like, that moment when uh, Marie-Philippe Poulin scored the overtime winner? Did you know it was in right away? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I know who once have pointed at the net that it was in if it wasn't. So I knew she was pretty certain that it was in. So I was pretty certain as well that it was in as well so yeah I was just had a big smile on my face we were all jumping on the bench that it was in and that we were winning we won and just was waiting for that buzzer to go so who were some of your idols growing up watching hockey men or women who were some of the players you looked up to um I've always looked up to Poulin she's just a tremendous hockey player and getting to know her here throughout centralization she's an amazing leader and person as well so she's definitely been someone I looked up to and then making this uh, transition to D 
I've obviously looked up to uh, Jocelyn The Rock, and she's helped me out quite a bit throughout the centralization, just helping me out, making me feel confident and believing in myself and being a fellow Manitoban and someone who also played at Duluth. It's pretty cool to have her. Yeah. You could bond over small town Manitoba stuff. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For those that have never been to Deloraine, and I'm sure there are, there are plenty of our listeners who maybe haven't gone out that way. Uh, what, what do you, what is there to do there? What is life like there? In Deloraine? Yeah. Um, it's, you're pretty much, it's pretty much a hockey town. You're either playing hockey or I lived on a farm. So there was, I was surrounded by lots of farms and, um, yeah, I loved horses growing up. So I was always riding my horse on the farm and helping my, uh, uncle out with his, he had a ranch, um, farm. So we were always in the summer, we'd be doing cattle drives and helping out other neighbors that had cattle. So if you're not, if you're either playing hockey, farming, or doing both, so there's not too much to do in Deloraine, but how to be from there and from a small community. Absolutely. How many people live there, do you know? I think it's 900-something. Nice. Somewhere in around there, yeah, not too sure, but under 1,000. That's a good size. Okay, a couple more questions on the Olympics, and I'll, I'll let you go. What's your role on this team, have you been told? Because the defense corps is pretty young on this squad, right? Yeah, for sure. We definitely have a young squad. Five of us are first-time Olympians and uh, two vets coming back. But I think we're all uh, very interchangeable. We think of ourselves as a five-man unit out on the ice. We like to play, um, be very offensive, and jumping up into play quite a bit. So I have definitely take on um, pride in my defensive role and shutting down uh, defensively, but also like to um, step up offensively and create some offense as well. How much does it help that almost this entire team was together for the world championships too? Yeah, for sure. I think that's huge. Obviously all 29 of us that we started off with, were all very close in a pretty tight knit group. And uh, from the beginning of this, we said that it's going to be all 29 of us bringing home that uh, gold medal from Beijing. So yeah, it's a great group of girls and we have a lot of fun together. And what's that moment going to be like when you step out on that Olympic ice for the first time? Uh, uh, it's going to be pretty surreal. I feel like I won't sink in that I'm actually playing at the Olympics So until that moment. So I'm pretty excited here for the next few days as we're amping up towards uh, the Olympics and getting ready to take off here soon. When do you leave? Uh, we fly out on the 26th. Okay. So between now and then, just practicing and don't get COVID? Yep, pretty much practicing, going back to the hotel and then back to the rink. Pretty much all we're doing right now, which is pretty cool. We're thinking it, thinking of it as like a pre-camp and yeah, just picking their game. Our practices are getting up to game speed here too as well, just because we're not able to play any more games. So we're just practicing hard and competing hard against each other as like it was a game. So Awesome, Ashton. Well, congratulations again on making the Olympic team. Wish you the best of luck overseas, and hopefully we get to talk to you afterwards with a gold medal around your neck. Yes, for sure. Thank you very much. The Moose have also played much of the last month or two with makeshift lineups as well. 36 different players, in fact, have suited up for the first 30 games already this season. Four goalies, 13 defensemen, 19 forwards, and yet... The team has one of the best records in the AHL at 19-9-2 going into this weekend. 
Our Kelly Moore spoke with Moose GM Craig Heisinger earlier today to get a little insight on how the Jets farm team continues to succeed in the face of extreme adversity. Has this kind of been the normal operating procedure for all teams in the American Hockey League, or uh, have the Manitoba Moose been one of the teams that have had to uh, uh, fit different pieces here uh, and there uh, uh, more so than others? No, I think every team is dealing with it. I mean, at the, the NHL level, teams are dealing with it, but they have the recallability from their American League affiliate uh, uh, at the American League level. I think every team at the American League level is dealing with it, and the teams that that uh, have uh, either signed the lots of depth guys between the AHL and the ECHL um, are in semi good shape, or that do a good job scouting the ECHL for the for the best players there, or some combination of both. And I think we would fall into some co- some combination of both range where we sign them enough depth guys. I learned a long time ago that you can never have enough D and you can never have enough D. Uh, one thing I, I, I didn't really know is you could never have too many goaltenders, but this year you can never have too many goaltenders. <laughs> yeah, that is the absolute truth for sure. So do you, and because you're traveling and scouting so much, it's not like you're in an office where you can have a big whiteboard with your depth chart there, but do you have some kind of a mechanism, Zinger, uh, where you have names on a call list? Because uh, I don't imagine you get a whole lot of lead time when you have to fill these holes. I know, especially this year, it's, you know, you're you're, uh, flying by the seat of your pants, for lack of a better term. I mean, yesterday, for instance, when a couple of tests came back late, had to call Mark Morrison and they were just leaving Milwaukee and say, uh, we need to take a couple of guys to the airport and don't leave the drop those two guys off, but don't leave the airport till I call you till we get the rest of these tests back. Cause we might need another guy for the jets. So, um, it's challenging to fill holes on, on, on days of games. It's challenging to take players that aren't your own from East coast league teams that are playing that night. So, I mean, between myself and uh, our AHL, ECHL scout, uh, Spiros Anastas, uh, we have an ongoing ECHL depth chart uh, that we work off. Obviously, we use our own depth players that we've signed, um, like Tristan Palmerlow, like uh, Hayden Shaw, like Philip DeRoche, uh, like Trenton Bork, like Dean Stewart, but called up a couple of those guys and then they tested positive after a couple of days. So um, we desperately needed players for the game in Milwaukee on Wednesday night, but there was a lot of East coast league games Wednesday night. So you have to respect the East coast league teams. You just can't call and take their best player when they're playing that night. So in a situation like Wednesdays, we clearly strayed away from the teams that were playing and sort of called the teams where we knew the coaches and whether it was the best player or a player we knew, or it was just a geographically friendly player based on where the player was located and where the moose were playing. There's a variety of things that go into the decision-making process. It's not always about taking the best player from somebody else's team. That's tough to do because they're trying to win too. Okay. You took about a minute to describe that. How long does it actually take to execute it, uh, or does it vary from situation to situation from the time you realize you have the need till the time you have filled that need? Uh, it probably takes longer than you think. Um, 
usually you're dealing with it in the morning. Usually the 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 team that you're calling, whether it's for your own player or uh, an ECHL dev player, those those teams are usually on the ice when you call. The coaches never the coaches in the East Coast League are never looking to see, you know an American league team's number come up because they're not calling to check to see how they're doing. They're calling to take their best player. Um, that's why it's important that you have enough of your own depth guys that, that the ECHL teams know that you're just not calling to fleece them. Like we called up 4D, I think on Monday or Tuesday, then had to call Toledo and Indy and ask them if we could get another D each. And it's like, why? We saw you just called up four guys. Well, the Jets just took two, two tested positive, and now we're down to four. Um, so you have to have an, an explanation, and you owe them an explanation of why you're, why you were asking for their, for their player. So the time frame, you know, just just dealt with it last couple of days in a row. It probably takes four to five hours uh, to recall three players in a morning, but it, it can sometimes take four to five hours just to get one guy. But traditionally, you can get one player sort of get coach's permission, get get on the phone with the player, get travel organized in a couple of hours. But uh, the last couple of mornings when we've been, you know, looking for two or three guys, it, it takes four or five hours. And I cannot imagine how your uh, blood pressure went up. Uh, when the National Hockey League decided, and, and it was le- legitimate, uh, but still, when they decided that they were going to implement taxi squads, was there any kind of advance warning on that zinger? Like, you know, maybe 36 hours in advance, hey, by the way, uh, be prepared for taxi squads. Or did that just come out of the blue, and then all of a sudden you're trying to replace three, four, five different uh, uh, individuals? Yeah, there was no real warning on the on the taxi squad situation. But there's not a lot of, I can't say that there's a lot of silver linings in COVID, um, but I'll only speak for my, our line of work. The one, one thing that it's done when we get through whatever this situation is, there's going to be very few situations that's going to make you, you know, fire loud, loud F sharps at your computer because something went wrong. Like, like, you don't sort of don't even sweat it now. Like you, ex, you expect it before COVID. It was like everything little thing you, that went wrong. was like, somebody's out to get you. Now it's, 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 it's more, it's more the norm than the exception. So I, I think it's really given someone like me a, a real good perspective on moving forward that no matter what happens going forward, it's never going to be as challenging as the things we had to deal with during the COVID years. You know, in your position, which is somewhat unique in that you have two masters to serve uh, as the assistant general manager with the Winnipeg Jets and then the general manager uh, of the Manitoba Moose. Uh, So when you see Moose players go up and fit in seamlessly with the Jets and then you see the Moose able to weather those storms and and continue to play uh, a very solid brand of hockey under Mark Morrison – I don't know if validation or satisfaction is a better way to describe what you'd be feeling. Yeah, those are big words for me. I might have to get out my dictionary and the source to figure those ones out. Happy, but happy. At the at the end of the day, it was it was Paul Maurice that that put into play uh, a few years ago that we needed to play the same systems uh, in the American League as we did in the NHL, at least as close as we could 
with the per- the personnel on the two teams is different, but there are, you know, there's been times when the power play's been a little bit different based on personnel, or the penalty killing's been a little bit different, but the penalty killing stays closer because the guys that get called up traditionally aren't going to get power play time. So if our power play in the American League's a little bit different, that's not a big deal. But certainly, guys that get called up are expected to be able to kill penalties in the same system and obviously have to be able to play the, the five-on-five system. And I think it's a credit. I always think it's a credit to the coaches. I think, you know, last night Dave Lowry did a great job with, with the guys that were inserted. He, he expected the same out of them as, as the guys that traditionally would have been there but weren't in the lineup. And, and Mark Morrison's the same way. It's, it's like this is the hand you're dealt. These are the guys you got for tonight. This is what they can do. And let's see if we can outwork teams. I mean, at the end of the day, skill only goes so far. There, there are times, and especially during these COVID years, where um, we've won a lot of games based on goaltending and work ethic. So just before I let you go, uh, with everything that you've shared with us, is there one circumstance or one phone call in particular uh, that has stood out, uh, whether it was uh, bizarre in nature or whether it was overcomplicated, uh, or is it pretty much the same thing, just scratch and claw, you know, to, to try to uh, get everything in order to get the players you need? I think the biggest kudos go to the coaches in the ECHL that have been absolutely decimated, had their rosters decimated by, by the 31 uh, American League teams. Um, I, I think they're the, they're the, as much as I think the coaches for all the teams deserve a lot of credit, the ECHL is the league that's taking the hardest hit uh, with their rosters being different every night. Um, so the, the credit that goes to those guys and Yes, the calls. The fact that they even pick up the phone anymore uh, is, is is remarkable to me. Um, and and I have a lot of respect for that league, and I have a lot of respect for all the coaches in it. And um, I, I think they're from an NHL and AHL perspective. I think the ECHL, ECHL coaches are the unsung heroes. I can't believe we got through this interview and you didn't have your phone ringing on the other end. <laughs> uh, well, I got a few, I got a few texts buzzing and, 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 uh, so, but hopefully no, hopefully no bad news. Uh, the other, the other, the other night I was talking to somebody and, and I said, well, I just got one more call tonight. It's, it's with Mark Morrison. What could possibly go wrong? And within 10 minutes, we got four positive tests on each team. So, uh, <laughs> It's better, it's better just to go to bed before you say that and fall asleep. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Of course, that is when the Jets are not playing because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell. Until we meet again. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this. We try to warn you all the day. You may not share our intellect, which might explain.